ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of the Eyes on Iowa podcast. I'm, of course, as always, your co-host, Quinn Douglas, joined by my other co-host, Carter Coppinger. And Carter, great to have you back after last week. Obviously, it was hell week for you over at old dental school at UI. And uh, good to see you made it on the other side. Yep, it's I'm still alive. Don't worry, everyone. <laughs> You're still alive. Happy to be back. Good to have you back. Things got a little crazy last week with old Sandy and Adams on the pod, but it's nice to have some sanity back on the podcast, having you back this week. Yeah, you know, I was listening to you guys' episode on, <laughs> on Friday, and Sandy, I, I texted you. I was like, man, come on. <laughs> Sandy has, has been known to not have a filter at times. <laughs> God love him. So that it definitely uh, that made got for- Made for, an interesting, yeah, yeah. made for an interesting episode, but one that I think was very well received. But like I said, it's good to be back on a normal basis. I'm kind of in the middle of my hell week right now with volleyball and football postseason stuff really ramping up. I've got Webster City Volleyball. We're recording this on a Tuesday afternoon. I've got Webster City Volleyball at home tonight taking on Fort Dodge in a Highway 20 battle, but should probably go the way of the links, I would imagine. But without further ado, won't you just introduce me? I have a guest on our podcast today. Obviously, this Friday will be the first round of the small school playoffs in the state of Iowa. Of course, Carter and I being the high school football buffs, we we, we like to say we are. We wanted to get someone else on here to kind of discuss and bounce stuff off of when it comes to the smaller school playoffs. He's currently a sports writer for the Mason City Globe Gazette. His previous bylines can also be found at the uh, Quad Cities Times as well as the Iowa State Daily. He's a good friend of mine here covering the North Central Iowa sports beat. Zach Martin joins us. Zach, good to have you on, my friend. Well, thank you, buddy. Quinn, Carter, uh, I've enjoyed um, I've enjoyed listening to your guys' podcast since it's since you guys started, and I am very happy to be on it. Yeah, that's first-time guest here in Zach, and we're glad to have him on because he's got a wealth of knowledge of high school football in the state. Obviously, we got the the we had the final week of the small school season, uh, two A through eight player last Friday night. We got late Friday night who the qualifiers were. Uh, all four of my area teams qualified for the playoffs, so that was pretty neat to have for for my area zach i know your area your area up in the mason city globe gazette they had a very very successful season uh when you look at schools like west hancock mason city newman uh as well as uh, nashville plainfield is in there uh, all the way down to hampton dumont cal even though they have another week left to the regular season but they are sitting in a good spot for the for their class 3a district uh, but it's been a very good season here in North Central Iowa for football. Carter, I know your Van Meter Bulldogs, they won the district. They uh they 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 took it to ACGC. I was a little sad to see that. My former uh, uh one of my former assistant coaches from high school, Cody Matheson's their head coach. Uh, but they do get the two seed out of that class one A uh, district seven. Parents came out on a on a uh Saturday morning on the IHSA website. I, I was ready for them. I was up and Zach, I know you were up waiting for them uh, as well. And they came out and it was pretty close to what I expected for, for at least my area team, Zach. Uh, I don't know about you. I, I, I thought uh, at least, you know, for the Northern section where, where our areas kind of intertwine, I thought the, the, the choices for the, for the pairings were pretty, pretty uh, much what, what a lot of us predicted on Friday night after the results of the games. Although I just kind of want to get your thoughts on maybe what, maybe a couple matches you thought would have uh, been paired up differently. Well, I think I was a little surprised about Clear Lake going to PCM Monroe. Um, I honestly thought they were going to go west to maybe OABCIG or maybe um, maybe West Line is kind of what I thought Clear Lake was going to happen. But 
I think making that trek to PCM makes sense geographically when you look at everyone else that was kind of close to PCM. Um, and then, you know, kind of looking at Clarion Osage, mm-hmm. I, that was my uneducated guess. And that was smart. And that was the correct guess over my educated guess. Cause I thought it may have been Iowa falls that would have been heading to Osage. Cause just geographically that yeah. was the shortest distance, but I, but it does make sense that Clarion does go to Osage. Cause that was the, that was their next, that was their next closest school. So, mm-hmm. but all in all, I thought the parents went exactly how I thought they would outside mm-hmm. of those two little surprises. Um, but outside of that, it went about as it went about in in the line of thinking that that I had coming in once I saw all the all the qualifiers. Yeah, poor Iowa Falls Alderman. They got the unlucky draw of having to drive the three and a half hours up to uh, Rock Rapids, take on Central Line, George Little Rock. Although really the only difference would have been if Clarion would have been chosen to go out west, really only would have been about 15 minutes difference. So at that point, what what's the difference in that kind of a road trip? Mm-hmm. exactly mm-hmm. so yeah clearing gets uh osage osage district champion out of a pretty competitive district three in class 2a uh up there in uh, north central iowa i know Roland story uh, i talked about before we came on they they got the uh, short end of the stick they have to make a long drive down to southwest iowa into page county to take on the clarinda cardinals uh in the first round that's a matchup of 2a district 7 and 2a district 8 um when we be- move down to 1a south hamilton they are the only team in my area hosting they host ridgeview which is if you folks are unaware, that's the, the consolidation of uh, Galva Holstein and Schaller Crestland up in Northwest Iowa. That is uh, South Hamilton's first round matchup. And then Eagle Grove, that's a game I'll have Friday night. They're making their trip over to a very, very historic field in the state of Iowa. They have Appington Parkersburg at the Sacred Acre at Thomas Field. And I'm really looking forward uh, to that matchup just to be at, at Thomas Field. And I think, I think. Appleton's a little bit of a better matchup for Eagle Grove just off of paper uh, and South Hamilton's playing really really well at the end of the year uh, but that is what uh, South Hamilton or uh, Eagle Grove they they have uh, the District 3 champion at a class 1A Appleton Parkersburg as all those games of course kick off at 7 p.m. on Friday night and uh, Carter Sawyer Van Meter Bulldogs uh, their first round matchup I have to do, let me they have a, a team that uh, I remember playing when I was in high school in the playoffs. They have uh, the Pleasantville Trojans, and that is actually a matchup of a couple conference teams now. Of course, Pleasantville in the West Central Activities Conference. And Van Meter, Carter, watching on tape, Van Meter, they almost look bigger uh, than they did a season ago, especially up front, which I thought was surprising and how good that offensive line was a year ago. But it almost looks like the Bulldogs are bigger up front. And I don't want to say they're more mobile, but they definitely have some guys that can move some earth up front. I think that's really paid dividends this year for them. Yeah, I'd agree. I mean, Van Meter loves running the ball. And mm-hmm. I, I think what people don't see, at least on paper or on the stat sheet, is that they really haven't aired the ball out a lot this year just because mm-hmm. they haven't had to. Um, I mean, when there's the point differential that there is, the you know, they have quarterback Ben Gillen throwing four or five passes in a game, which is, you know, honestly insane to think that a team that's running the spread offense is doing that. But that's just kind of the way their schedule has been. And, um, you know, I think you'll see more from some of those skill position players as the playoff, as the playoffs, you know, get going here and they see a little tougher of, uh, of competition. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Zach, when it comes to the topic of uh, North Central Iowa and 1A teams, there isn't a ton of uh, 1A teams out of North Central Iowa, and that's just simply just geographical, and there's a couple of reasons for that. But uh, looking at the 1A playoffs, and we'll, we'll, we'll kind of trek back to the uh, eight-player 
uh, stuff here and kind of go a player up to two way. But what's maybe a matchup you you like right off the rip looking at the one a playoffs in one a or a? Uh, actually, you know what? Well, let's change that. Let's go to eight player. Let, let's kind of let's kind of do it from the top like I wanted to do. Eight player. Right. We'll, we'll look at that. We haven't looked at that quite yet. Uh, obviously, we we've got the uh, assignments out for that. Uh, the it's a little bit different for eight players, so it's a little bit harder for me to project who goes where for eight player just because it's the, the setup is a little different than the rest of the uh, than the rest of the playoff uh, formats. Uh, so there are two matches between first place teams and at large teams. Uh, so the at-large teams are ones that made it in based off a of point differential or district record. I actually believe it's point differential. I have to double check on that. Uh, but I think, I think Bosco, it is point differential. Is it, I, think, I, think it I thought is. it was point differential. Uh, mm-hmm. Don Bosco, Gilbertville hosts Winfield Mount Union, and that could be a real interesting game. You got two possible Division One recruits on Winfield Mount Union, including Iowa commit Cam Buffington and uh, Abram Edwards, son of former Iowa State basketball player Clay Edwards, who's the head basketball coach over at Winfield Mount Union. And West Harrison gets a Bedford team that was out of a very strong District 9 down in southwest Iowa. The West Harrison Hawkeyes, that's a – uh, pretty surprised. That's been a surprise story in eight player this year. They haven't had much in the way of success, but they're eight no coming into the playoffs here this year in 2022. A couple other matchups that uh, caught my eye. Some of the first and third place matchups as uh, I take a look. Easton Valley hosts BGM Brooklyn. Montezuma hosting Iowa Valley. Southeast Warren hosts East Mills. And then uh, a couple others that jump off the page. We got a couple second and third place matchups. Noel Fonda hosts Harris Lake Park. West Bend Mallard hosting Clarksville. And then second place at second place. These are probably some of the best matchups. Baxter at Caminita. Fremont Mills hosting Moravia. Gladbrook Rhinebeck hosting New London. And Tripola hosting Central City. Zach, I just want to get your thoughts first on some of these smaller, uh, you know, these, some of these eight man matchups and what are a couple of them that, that have jumped off the page at you? I'll tell you what, I would not be stunned if Harris Lake Park beats Newell Fonda. I think Harris Lake Park is a sneaky, sneaky good uh, bet to to make a deep run here. They they gave GTRA, who I think is who I think is going to be a quarterfinal threat. Harris Lake Park gave GTRA a run for their money for most of that game. I would not be stunned at all if Harris Lake Park can upset Newell Fonda on the road and and maybe make a and maybe make a run. But true, truly, I mean, you you touch on it. Wes Harrison has been kind of the Cinderella story in eight man this year. Um, they beat a they beat Caminita, who obviously defending eight player state champs, um, beat him closely, I believe, if, if my memory serves me right. They they are a team that I think can get to the dome, but I think it's going to come down to I, it's obviously going to come down to matchups. And it's also going to come down to how good is their offense going to be once, once it starts getting a little bit colder? Mm-hmm. I think that's going to be a real key for Wes Harrison. Um, but yeah, I, there, there's a lot of solid eight player matchups in the first round and truly none of them are, are bad. I think they're, I think they're all could be, you know, some, some decently good games this, mm-hmm. this week. Yeah, hey, you bring you bring up a great point when it comes to Harris Lake Park and Newell Fonda. The defense has been there all year for Newell Fonda. There's no question about that. They've had a number of side of shutouts, but the offense is really what seems like it's taken a few steps back here from last season. Really, over the last couple of seasons, as we saw, you know that's that was what Newell Fonda's undoing was against uh, Remsen St. Mary's was that uh, was their, their lack of offense, and of course, Remsen St. Mary's has been blowing everybody out of the water. An eight player this year up in Northwest Iowa. Uh, mm-hmm. Carter, I don't know if you have the eight player matches. I could probably screen share if you want me to. Yes, but, uh, I have them. You haven't pulled up. So, what are maybe a couple of the playoff matchups that stand out to you? And then I'll give you some of the matchups that stand out that stand out to me. 
I, I was kind of thinking the same thing that you you guys both were with the third and second place matchups and the second and second. I, I think that just something that's so cool about eight players and that a lot of people I feel like don't realize is just how big that class is. I mean, there are so many schools that are an eight player. Mm. Um, I, I mean, it's honestly pretty cool. And I feel like the records aren't always like super into, they don't always indicate like how great teams are just because I feel like the strength of schedule kind of, it, it depends kind of where, where you're at in the state, but I mean, yeah, I'd say like my favorites, at least there are still just, I mean, always Don Bosco and then Waco Rems and St. Mary's. And I think Lennox is really good this year too. Mm-hmm. Um, but then like for, for matchups, I'd say, yeah, Cam Anita and Baxter was one that I was really interested in. Yeah, Lennox. Uh, I actually have a connection with Lennox. Their offensive line coach, or my their head coach, was my offensive line coach at Madrid in high school. And uh, I, you know, just talking to him over the past number of years, you know, they've been able to have put together some really good regular seasons. But their the thorn in their side had been Fremont Mills. They had not been able to get past Fremont Mills, and they, I mean, they shut him down. Twenty eight to two was yep. the final in the matchup that or back in week eight. Uh, to uh, get the district title over Fremont Mills. That was a big win for that Lennox program. Like you, like you said, Southwest Iowa is one of those areas where it's traditionally really tough in eight-man football. And Lennox, I think, is the best team in that corner of the state. And when it comes down to if they were able to pot it out where the sections, where, the, where it's geographically northwest, northeast, southeast, southwest, I really like Lennox coming out of that southwest quadrant of the state and making a run to the Unidome. Um, as I take a look here, a couple ones that stand out to me, Montezuma and Iowa Valley, that could be a very interesting game. Uh, I know Montezuma, they, they, they have lost some of the great talent they've had the last couple of years, but they still put together a, a district championship season out in uh, East uh, out in uh, East Central Iowa. Uh, Easton Valley, Beachingham, Brooklyn is another one. Easton Valley, I guess they've been running this year without their starting quarterback throughout most of the year who got hurt in the first half against that game against Don Bosco back in week one. So Easton Valley's been kind of running on a backup quarterback. BGM Brooklyn been a solid program the last couple of years, especially since moving down to uh, a player after being class A at the early part of the previous decade. Uh, that could be a game I really see uh, being an interesting one. And Fremont Mills, Moravia catches my eye because Moravia, I, I I don't know a ton about at least South Central Iowa when it comes to man football, but the numbers Moravia's put up this year is throwing the football have been kind of a mind, kind of been eye popping and to a certain degree mind boggling. And Fremont Mills is not the type of offense that that will air it out. They like to run the football quite a bit. So Moravia versus Fremont Mills, if you want a game of contrasting styles, that might be the game for you. Fremont Mills loves to run the football. Moravia likes to air it out. That's another one that really has caught my eye in class eight player. One, one thing on Easton Dada I do want to mention guys is they have played a shorter season than anyone else in um, they, they played a shorter season than most eight player teams. They only had seven regular season games. They had two of them. Um, canceled because of teams not deciding to field programs. They were able to make up one of them, but they did not play a full eight game regular season. Like a lot of, like a lot of the, like a lot of other eight man programs. And, and Quinn, you mentioned about their uh, quarterback. There's their initial starting quarterback, Carson Fegan. Yes. Done. And he's been done, but Hayden Felke has come in and done a very impressive job. 931 yards, 21 touchdowns, no interceptions. And then he's added 11 more scores and 434 yards rushing on the ground, clipping at 7.4. Easton Valley is going to be just fine, I think. I, I I do think BGM gives them a game, but Easton Valley I still think is going to be a team that we're going to look at at the quarterfinals and, like, 
Oh, how'd they get there? Yeah, because they're traditionally one of the one of the powerhouses in Eastern Iowa for eight for for eight man football. Yeah, they they uh, really really because they they are still a relatively young school. I think this may be season number ten that they have fielded a football program from the schools. Uh, Preston was one of the schools that consolidated. I, you're the Eastern Iowa buff over here, Zach. I can't remember who else consolidated with Eastern Valley. I know yeah, Preston, it's, Pre- it's Preston. I can't. I cannot remember who. I can't remember who else consolidated with them. Yeah, yeah Preston's the one Preston I remember. That's, yeah, it's and it's someone else. Yeah, but since those two have consolidated, Eastern Valley, they've had some really good athletes. They just had a really good athletic program since those two schools consolidated about 10 years ago. So that's a look at the eight-player uh, matchups. There's some really intriguing matchups in eight-player, and we'll move on uh, to uh, the Class A matchups. Uh, as we take a look, i got to pull it up here on my computer. Now I got it up here. Take a look at Class uh, A, some of the matchups that stand out to me first from the one versus four line. There's just not a lot that pop off the page uh, at me. Uh, West Hancock versus Nashville Plainfield could be an interesting one. I think Nashville Plainfield might be the best four seed out there. Uh, you could maybe give a give a nod to North Union too. Uh, Zach, I know those are two programs you know a little bit about, but North Union they're at Hartley, Melbourne, Sanborn, and it sounds like HMS might be out without one of their top two uh, uh, rushers in that game in that one versus four matchup. That could get very interesting. And then the two through three line is actually really interesting when you look at some of these uh, matchups here in Class A. Uh, the first one I look at East Buchanan, Elizabeth East Buchanan's been a top ten team all year round. Elizabeth, a traditionally strong program in Class A, uh, they are able to get the three seed. A lot of them were projected. A lot of people were projecting them as the four seed, but they are able to sneak into that three line, and that could be an interesting matchup with East Buchanan uh, coming up on Friday night. Uh, we're going to take it to my my uh, hometown, Madrid. They've got a really interesting matchup. They're the two seed out of District Six in Class A. They've got uh, two the three seed out of District Seven. Uh, Southwest Valley. Southwest Valley fell to Mount Air uh, by pretty decisive margin uh, for with a chance to maybe get that two seed in the final week of the regular season. So Southwest Valley got to come up to the jungle and play Madrid. Mount Air, uh, on the other hand, they are hosting Ogden. Uh, Mount Air, the two seed from District 7. Uh, Ogden, the three seed from District 6. Uh, that could be a really good ball game down in Mount Air. And uh, another one that uh, caught my eye was uh, Hinton and Logan Magnolia, two teams that have the same record uh, that are different districts, although Loma is traveling a bit north to get to Hinton on Friday night. Those are a couple. Those are some of the matchups that stood out to me. Uh, Zach, we'll start with you. What are some of those matchups in Class A that have really caught your eye? Well, I agree that Nashville Plainfield is – probably the best or second best four seed in that one four um in that in those one four matchups but they're not beating Wes Hancock. I mean if I mean Wes Hancock is still so so good and they're they have so much more speed this year than last year. That front seven is absolutely disgusting. Their secondary is can fly all over the place. And it has been a it has been much more by committee this year in taking in taking carries out of the backfield. Kale Zool has been there has been their fullback, but they've run a lot of stuff out of their shotgun with Mitchell Smith at quarterback, and he's taken off on some on some design quarterback runs. Wes Hancock is still, in my opinion, the favorite to repeat as as a Class A state champion. I think Nashville Plainfield will obviously try to slow the game down, but. I, I don't think that they're going to be able to score against that defense. Um, I think North Union can maybe upset HMS. I say maybe, but Brian Prochnia might be the fastest running back I have, I have seen this year. That kid can fly. State qualifier in the 100 and 200 um, over the spring and uh, over the spring and track. 
that kid can that kid can dash down the field in the in the blink of an eye, and he's going to be a problem for HMS if um, if they if they cannot contain him or or have anything to try and slow him down. He can he can be in for a long. They HMS can be in for a long night if they cannot stop Briar Prochniak. Um, I'll touch on Newman and St. Andrews since those are two of my core area teams. Newman, I think that they are a sneaky team to get to the quarters. They are they have played lights out since losing to West Hancock in week two, 42 to seven, um, averaging over 40 points a game over the six-game winning streak. They they are going to be a real threat. They do have um, their starting fullback, Zach Sheldon, did get knocked out against North Union uh, last week um, with a possible concussion. So he's questionable for um, he's special for this game against Hudson. If he doesn't play, Tyler Wolf will he stepped up, um, had over 110 yards on I think 16 carries against North Union. So he's a capable replacement fullback for Newman. Um, the one thing that's going to that is going to either hurt or help. Uh, Newman is going to be tackling. They struggled to tackle Briar Prochniak last week for much of the first half, got better at it in the second half. But if they come in and they are not tackling running backs or just skill position players in general, then it's going to turn into a shootout, which they can win. But I know, I know that staff wants to, wants to, limit as much big plays as possible and they gave up I think two they gave up too too many big plays against North Union last week still put up a ton of points but defense is going to end up is going to win championships and it's going to win playoff games and that's what Newman needs to focus on and then St. Ansgar Wapsie Valley two very evenly matched teams in my opinion but one thing that has hurt St. Ansgar in those three losses they have lost their turnover battle Against Newman, they lost it. Against West Hancock, they lost it. And against Osage, they lost a turnover battle. Now, all three of those losses, extremely quality losses, and it and all and lost to Newman in double overtime by two, lost to Osage by I think 11 points, and they lost to West Hancock 32 nothing. But all three quality losses and all five wins, they have been flat out dominant. So if if the St. Andrew team that shows up in the five wins can show up against Wapsie Valley. I think they win that game, but if they lose the turnover battle, lose, don't don't get Tate Meyer or Connor King into any type of flow in that offense. I think Wapsie Valley comes out on top, but it would not surprise me if St. Andrew St. Andrew wins that game, and then depend on which pod they in they they end up in, see what they can do for for the second round quarterfinal potentially. Yeah, I, uh, that, that's a good point you make about St. Ansgar. I, I did watch, I did manage to catch a little bit of film on the the, the loss to West Hancock, and St. Ansgar really struggled to take care of the football in that loss uh, to West Hancock. That was ultimately their undoing in that loss uh, a few a couple weeks back. Uh, that was a later season match. I believe that was a week six ball game uh, up in uh, mm-hmm. up at uh, West Hancock High School for that one. Mm-hmm. Carter, what are some of your thoughts here on some of these Class A matchups you see here? Well, Quinn, I'd like to start with a question. Uh, yeah. Do you think that Madrid's on uh, upset watch this week? I don't even know if you can call it upset watch. I think these are, these are two pretty pretty evenly matched teams between Madrid yeah. and Southwest Valley. And and Madrid, they do they do have a little bit of an injury bug. Their starting quarterback, Preston Wicker, uh, he kind of tweaked his growing in the win over North Mahaska 
on uh on a last Friday night uh talking to uh I was back home this weekend talking to Steve Perkins who is Madrid's defensive coordinator or defensive backs coach and former head coach who's still on the staff here at Madrid talking to him he uh thinks that he thinks Preston should be ready to go Bill Dean the defensive coordinator thinks uh you know he should be okay to go uh, but obviously he has, just has to recuperate this week so if Preston Wicker is able to go I give Madrid the advantage in that regard because he's been as dynamic one of the more dynamic quarterbacks in class A this year he's got 700 yards through the air 700 yards on the ground Nash Ramirez has been great between the tackles and I think a big I, I, when I when I break down this matchup with Madrid and Southwest Valley, I think it comes down to up front, and Southwest Valley does not have very many big guys, especially on the defensive line up front, uh, that can uh, I, I think can contend with some of the big boys. Madrid's got some, maybe not tall guys, but they've got some big bodies up on the that interior of the offensive line, and I really like uh, what Madrid might be able to do on that when it comes to that inside zone game that they run a lot of now out of the shotgun. Uh, so I, I feel pretty good about where Madrid is in this one against Southwest Valley, but still at the same time, these are two very evenly matched teams. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'd say that Madrid just has to be able to stop the run this week. Mm. Um, and then I'd say the other game that really interested me was Ogden and Mount air. Um, really. I mean, Mount air, their, their only loss was, uh, the AHSTW of Oka, mm-hmm. really good team. Um, and then, I mean, Ogden, they've lost to a good Lindell Soli and your Magic Tigers. Yeah. So, um, I mean, I think that's a, just a really intriguing matchup because I, I think that they seem, at least on paper, like two pretty evenly matched teams. Yeah, and Ogden, they only trailed Linville Sully 13-6 to at halftime a couple weeks ago in a matchup in Ogden, but Linville Sully, they've shown they're a top-five team in A, and they are very much a contender for uh, to, to get to the Unidome and, and even to the state championship game uh, out of District 6. They've uh, they've showed some – they've had a couple pretty impressive showings here uh, this year. They, they could be a team to watch out for, just a matter also where they get – uh, where they get paired up when it comes to their pods. Uh, when those come out next Saturday, I'll be really intrigued to see uh, if Linville Sully gets sent more east or if they maybe get sent more west uh, with their pod. With that, we'll move on to Class 1A and a couple of the matchups that uh, stand out to me for, for Class 1A first off. Uh, as we take a look, something, there's just not a lot of good 1v4 matchups in Class 1A. There is one. Uh, that did catch my eye, and that's MFL Marmac hosting Durant. Of course, Durant's got Nolan DeLong, who's one of the top running backs in the state of Iowa. He's gotten looks from Iowa and Iowa State on the recruiting trail. Uh, I don't, I, I don't believe he's the top rusher. Yeah, uh, in, in all the state of Iowa, but he's up there in terms of total yardage. Uh, really, Durant they, they like to get get Noah along the football in many different uh, situations. I think that could be a very interesting game uh, between MFL Marmac and Durant. I'm interested to see how that one goes. Another one that that has caught my eye as well. I don't, I it, I don't think it, the chance of this being a good game is as high as MFL Marmac and Durant. But Sigourney Kyoto and Sumner Fredericksburg is another one that I think was a little bit interesting. SK had a really slow start to the season. But uh, after their upset over Pella Christian, they have rolled through their uh, Class 1A District 6 uh, over in Southeast Iowa. And uh, they are playing their best football right now. But Sumner Fredericksburg, they're the product of a very tough district uh, out of uh, District 4 in Northeast Iowa. I, I, I really like uh, the possibility, maybe Sumner Fredericksburg. It could be a game where it's close at halftime, but Sigourney Kyoto pulls away. But that's another matchup I don't think should be slept on very much uh, in those 1v4 matchups. And as we look at the two... 2v3 matchups. I think there's a lot of really good matchups. Uh, a couple of them that intrigue me right off the rip as I look are Denver and Columbus Catholic. Uh, this is a Denver team. I think in any other district in the state, they're a two seed. 
Uh, but they get the three seed out of that very tough District Three, District Three in Class One A. Uh, Appleton Parkersburg was the district champion. Dyke Hartford was the two seed. Denver was the three seed. It really came down to district record and, and point differential when it came to, to evening out uh, that that Class One A district. And then another one that stands out to me: Iowa City Regina hosting Pella Christian. That is a really interesting matchup. Pella Christian, they're seven to one. They're one loss was to Sigourney Kyoto. I don't feel like the, the Eagles have been that battle-tested this year. And on the opposite end of that spectrum, a spectrum Iowa City Regina's had one heck of a schedule this year. They had a tough non-district with uh, schools like Williamsburg they took on uh, as well as uh, I believe they had West Liberty in there. I'd have to double-check. But Regina had a tough non-district schedule. They had a tough district schedule with West Branch, Minneapolis, as well as Durant. They're the three seed, and they might be another team. They could be a two seed in, in very many districts in the state of Iowa. And I almost would be willing to pick Regina to upset Pella Christian uh, on Friday night. But, uh, Zach, we'll start with you. What are some of your thoughts on these 1A matchups? Well, Quinn, you kind of read my mind with Durant, MFL Marmack. Yeah. I think that's <laughs> I think that's the best uh, 4B1. I don't think Durant wins. I Man, you Durant goes from 5-0 and oh, – and they are they get they get West Branch on their home field and they and they're I mean they feel really good and then they have a bit of a stinker against West Branch, which granted, I think West Branch is still, I think they're the second best team in 1A because until someone knocks off Van Meter, they've still they're still number one in my book. Mm-hmm. Um until someone knocks them off, Van Meter will always be number one in 1A in my book. But I think West Branch is the second best team in 1A. Um, but Durant to go 0 and 3 the last three weeks, man. I I don't know. I I don't know if they feel very confident heading to NFL Marmack. Yes, Nolan DeLong is gonna get his, but they they really need their defense to play like they have like they did the first five weeks of the year if they're going to beat MFL Marmack, because that's that's gonna be a tall order. Um of all the teams in District Three, when you look at Dyke, Denver, and AP. Mm-hmm. I think Denver might be the I, – I think you're right. I think Denver might be the second-best team in that district. Mm-hmm. I really do. I think they're the second-best team in that district. And I think – I think they beat Columbus Catholic. And if you want a scorching hot take, I think Denver gets to the Dome. I think Denver gets to the Dome. Wow. That is, I, that think is De- a, I, I think I think Denver is good, is good enough offensively to – to take that defense, which I think is I think is one of the better defenses in Class One A, I think that offense is good enough to take Denver to the dome, and I would not be I would not be stunned if the Cyclones end up in Cedar Falls. I also wouldn't be stunned if they if they don't end up in Cedar Falls because I think One A is I think a little bit deeper this year than I think in years previous. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot more. I think there's a lot more teams in Denver's range, like, like Regina, like West Central Valley, like Western Christian, like Mediapolis, that can get to the Dome, that are good enough to get to the Dome. Whereas in previous years, I think it's always been pretty top-heavy in 1A, and it's always been like we kind of know who's going to get to the Dome. Whereas this year, outside of Van Meter and West Branch, I don't know who's going to get to the Dome. That's why I think Denver has a realistic shot of giving of getting to Cedar Falls this in in a couple of weeks. Do you yeah, think I, that uh, Denver will have to play uh, West Branch to get there? 
I don't think so. I think no. I think they'll be I, I think they'll be a northeast. I think they'll be a northeast quadrant in the pod. So they'll probably think, play Applington's Parkersburg. I think I think they probably get a rematch with AP in the quarters. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think also if it I, I pod I just put out a theor- theoretical pod uh, on uh, Monday. I think the, the the northeast pod might be the most there might be the most parity out of those. Uh, the, the the other pods that you could see for Class One A, I have the Northeast pod uh, of Class One A. I have it as Appleton, Parkersburg, South Hamilton, Dyke, New Hartford, and Denver. There's a lot of parity in that pod, um, and you know they try a lot. I know I know the state will probably try to avoid to put three teams in district in a pod, but it might. I think it works out where it'd be really hard for them. Uh, to not do that. I've seen a couple of, of predictions where I saw one where Woodward Granger gets sent up to West Sioux. And I'm thinking you could just send Carol Kemper up to West Sioux. Why do we need to send Woodward Granger up to West Sioux? You know, that, you know, that takes an hour off that drive time for Kemper or for that matchup. Mm-hmm. But if it works out where South Hamilton, Dyke, New Hartford, Denver, and AP are in a pod, I couldn't tell you who's going to come out of that pod. Those are four really, really good football teams. I don't, I, I definitely say South Hamilton's the least battle tested out of all of them, especially when it comes to district play, because district two was exceptionally weak this year, which I would, I was, I would not, I would have been shocked if you would have told me that last year, I thought district two would actually be a pretty good district at uh, this time last year, looking ahead to this season. Uh, but they, they, they're doing what they need to. They've come in and blown out teams that wishbone attack that, that they run. Uh, and they have don't even have a thousand yard rusher, but they've got four or five. They got four backs over 300 yards or five backs, including their quarterback over 300 yards rushing. It's a very balanced attack uh, out of the wishbone. Uh, so that r- really makes life a little bit difficult for a lot of these teams uh, that are trying to defend them because, you know, they have four or five threats to carry the football at any given time where, you know, in years past, I know when I played in that in the offense at South Hamilton runs, it was really two, maybe three threats. It really wasn't maybe four or five threats to run the football. So that is what I think is unique about what South Hamilton can bring to the table. But AP, they're back to running the old Ed Thomas offense, a lot of wing T stuff. They're more, much more willing to throw it, I'll say, than, than Coach Thomas was back in the day. Dyke New Hartford, they're not as dominant as they were a year ago. I think that's shown on a few occasions this year. And, and, and of course, Zach touched on Denver. But that Northeast Quadrant in, in, in pod could be really interesting if it shakes out the way I think it's going to. Uh, that could be a, probably the most parody in a pod we have uh, in this state. And so, uh, Carter, what are some of your thoughts on 1A? Yeah, I agree with your with what you're saying about Northeast Iowa. And then, I, I mean, I'm super curious what's going to happen in Northwest Iowa. Because I mean, there's there's some good teams over there with Western Christian Hull and uh, West Sioux. I mean, honestly, I could see either of them, you know, making it to the dome. Because I'm assuming that they'll be matched up um, to get to the dome. Is that is that kind of what you have as well? Yeah, I have Western Christian and West Sioux uh, being in the same pod, and it would they would I would have uh, the state bringing up Underwood and Carol Kemper. Yep. Yeah. And honestly, I think that Emmitsburg versus Kemper is actually going to be an intriguing matchup just Mm -hmm. because Emmitsburg, if you look at their district, I mean, they had a brutal district. Uh And I'm not sure that Kemper is as tested as we think they are with. I mean, I know that they've played Underwood, but um, I guess I'm still not convinced on the strength of either of those teams. So I do think that um, Emmitsburg that that's like a, at least a game to watch in my mind. And I mean, the rest, I think trainer ACGC will be a good game, mm-hmm. although I don't think it'll have much for implications, you know, 
um, for the dome at all. And same with West Central Valley, Woodward Granger. I mean, they, they're, they're more evenly matched games. And I, I agree kind of with, uh, what Zach was saying with that we could see a Regina, uh, upsetting Pella Christian. Yeah. I think we're all in agreement on that one. I just, you know, it comes yeah. down to, I look at a Pella Christian's district and, and Iowa City Regina's schedule, just Pella Christian, they haven't been tested the way Iowa City Regina's been tested this year. And I think that that I think that comes into play a lot more in the postseason than I think what a lot of people think. I know it sounds cliche to say, but I think that comes into play a lot more than what a lot of people think when it comes uh, to, to that matter, especially in the playoffs. Especially, like you said, Zach, this year, 1A is a little bit deeper this year than it has been uh, in previous years. So, you know, it's always good to see because I remember when I was in – when Carter and I were high school, 1A was a pretty deep district, deep class. There was a lot of talent, a lot of spread out talent. You know, it felt like getting to the later years in high school, it felt like, you know, yeah, Regina's still on top, but they are much more human. And that was, you know, proven when Western Christian knocked them off our senior year. But uh, yeah, it definitely felt like 1A, 1A, I would definitely say when we were in high school was probably the second toughest class when you look at really look at talent in the parody i don't know if it's as tough as 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 it was then but it's still a really tough class here uh in this uh, 2022 season as uh with that we'll we'll move on to our final small school class moving on up to class 2a as we take a look we i know we touched on 2a a little bit earlier uh, as well when, when zach and i were talking about some of our area matchups Couple of four versus one matchups that stand out to me. I, I alluded to it earlier. Osage and CGD, I think, is going to be a closer game than what a lot of people think. CGD, they've had the the uh, the the tough task of having to play in a really good District Two in Class Two A. Their last two weeks, they ended up playing uh, Spirit Lake and OABCIG, two top ten teams in two way back to back. Uh, were in the game with both teams at halftime. Trail Spirit Lake by touchdown at halftime, up on OABCIG at halftime, but just did the, the talent of those two sides took shape in that second half and, and allowed them to pull away from Clarion. Another one that stands out to me on the 4v1 line, Lockgun hosting New Hampton. New Hampton somehow falls to that four line and a bit of a hodgepodge of that class 2A district three that, that that's kind of your area Zach and walk on they had a really tough non-district slate uh, but they went undefeated in the in their in their district slate in 2A once they got back to 2A opposition I think they're still a top 10 team in class 2A I've had them in my top 10 for a few weeks now against 2A competition and uh, I think that could be a really good game in the 4v1 line as we move down to the 2v3 line there's I think there's a whole bunch of really good matchups when I look, especially at the top of the top of the, the matchups, the first two right there, Centerville and DMC, Clarinda and Roland Story, those are two matchups I think could go uh, really either way. I know uh, talking to uh, Roland Story's athletic director, Brian Peterson, yesterday, Roland Story is a little bit banged up. I'm not sure how banged up Clarinda is, although I know Roland Story is just nursing some nicks and bruises right now going into that playoff game on Friday night down in Clarinda. Cresco Crestwood and North Bay of Valley could be a really good one. I'm really intrigued at that one as well. North Bay of Valley runs a pretty Pretty a good option attack. Cresco Crestwood's always been a physical football team up in Northeast Iowa. And then my final 2v3 matchup that's interesting includes another one of Zach's teams, Clear Lake at PCM. Uh, PCM really made, making some tough str- some big strides towards the end of the year and getting that home playoff game with the Clear Lake team that uh, pulled off a big upset in that final week of the season to get that three seed and avoid having to take on a one seed. And Zach, I'll go with uh, you first about some of the matchups that you find intriguing in two-way. Well, I mean, I think both I think both you and I already know how we feel about CGD and Osage and how I think we could have a whole 30 minute whole 30 minute session on just breaking down that game because I uh, think yeah, it's going yeah. 
I I think I think whoever gets the 20 points first wins that game because I think I think CGD's 335 stack defense is going to is going to cause Osage and Fitz. I think Osage's front seven is the was the best in the district. And I think it has, I think it can stand with a top 10 front seven in class 2A. They are they are big up front. Mm-hmm. Their linebackers are skilled and can fly all over the place. Um, when you look at Jake Krebs back, Marshall Slater, who transferred in from Rockford after they decided not to have um, they transferred in to Osage from Rockford after they decided not to have a football program this fall. Um, and then their third linebacker, Max Gost, um, they all have been just elite and their front four has been elite. So, and they really, really stiffen up when they are backed up into their own end zone from inside, from the 30 on in, it is very difficult to get, to get rushing yards against that Osage front seven. Heck when I covered them against New Hampton, Braden McShane went off. Um, he had, he had uh, uh, 75 yards um, on the first, like on within their first, within New Hampton's only scoring drive that game. After that, and especially when it got into the fourth quarter, he was get he wasn't breaking off for uh, six, seven, eight yard runs. It was two, three, four yard runs. I mean, they were gang tackling him and they were wearing him down. And that's what Osage's front seven does. They wear you down. And I think. As as talented as I think Clarion is, and I think they are a, I think they are the strongest four seed out of uh, second strongest. Maybe New Hampton gets a slight yeah. edge, but I think they're the second or first strong or best four seed. I still think Osage is is the better team strictly because their front seven is a little bit better. Um, and so I would, if I were picking, I think Osage wins, but I think the margin is going to be so so tight. I'm I'm really looking forward to being at Sawyer Field and covering that game. Um, New Hampton walk on. I mean, New Hampton goes from six and zero, or from being uh, five and zero, and they have really struggled these last three weeks. I mean, they they wake up in the second half against Forest City, um, or excuse me, the last uh, last two weeks. Excuse me, they have to wake up in the second half against Forest City and uh, avoid an upset there, and then they and then they fall down twenty one to nothing against Clear Lake at, um, after the first quarter. Come back have a shot to tie the game and then they get stuffed at the goal line um, to end the game. I mean, and now you got to go and now you got to go to walk on and play who I think is, who I think is woken up into a now that they've, now that they've gotten over that very, very, very difficult non-district schedule and starting to play like the walk on we figured they would play like, I mean, that, that game could be a real thriller. Brayden McShane's didn't get his. I still think he ends up with 150, 175 yards, but who is going to complement that is going to determine the success New Hampton has against Wacon. Mm-hmm. So those, I think, by far are the best one for. Then as the two, three, I look at Mid Prairie Northeast as a really, really intriguing two, mm-hmm. three. I think I, I would not be stunned if Northeast wins. I also wouldn't be stunned if Mid Prairie wins. Um, that is a very, very evenly matched two, three. And I'm, and I think whoever wins that probably gets to the quarters. I think those are two solid teams that, that can get to the quarters depending on where they're placed in geographically. But I, I think that's a really good two, three matchup of, of a pair of, of a pair of schools in the Eastern part of the state and clearly PCM clearly is a much better team than four and four. Um, 
they just their defense is so much better than last year. They just have they just have shot them. They have just shot themselves in the foot too many times. I mean, they nearly they they nearly came back and beat Osage in the District Three opener. Um, but just too many penalties, uh, not good kickoff return coverage really, really hampered them in that, in that Osage game. And then they've, they just, I don't think they've looked that good against top quality teams. Now they woke up, now they had an eye opening win against New Hampton. They almost, they let New Hampton drive down all the way to get inside their five with 45 seconds to go. So, I mean, like, how good is Clear Lake? I think they're a little bit better than four and four, but at the same time, they just make too many. I think they make too many mistakes that makes you that makes you scratch your head. Now it's a young team, and so forth. But at this at this point of the year, you can't use young team as an excuse when you're when you're in when you're in the when you're at this point of the year. Mm-hmm. I still I I don't know if they beat PCM. Um, it'll be, I think it'll be like a 28 to 20, 28, 24 type game. And if clearly can come up, with, come up with a couple stops and if they can, and if they can get their wide receivers involved and get Titan Schmidt, probably 15 to 20 carries, they, they could be in a good spot. Yeah, I agree. I agree with a lot of the points in that, that back to that OCH CGD game that, you know, that might be a matchup of two of them, maybe the more athletic, maybe most athletic linebacking cores in the state in two way that you mentioned, you know, you brought up Osage linebackers and CGD's backers. When you look at guys like Diego Gonzalez, Max Seba, uh, as well as uh, Nevin Foss is kind of that hybrid safety linebacker that you see with a lot of defenses drops back and does well in coverage and he can hit on the defensive end. That is going to be a hard hitting football game between Osage and Clarion on Friday night. I'm really excited and I'm bummed. I can't, I won't be at that one, but uh, uh, definitely, uh, definitely will keep my eye on that one up at uh, Osage. Uh, on Friday night and uh, Carter what are some of your thoughts here on some of these two-way matchups here you know I you guys touched on so much of it that I don't really have that much to add other than <laughs> one I feel bad for whoever has to go up to Central Lion George Little Rock I mean and that would be Iowa Falls Alden yeah I, I mean like just even in the next rounds too they're they're so good um mm-hmm. I mean and I, I think it might be sad if West Lion has to play them you know which they likely will you know i'm sure you have them in the same pod quinn Um, yeah i i would imagine yeah i believe i do have them in the same pod i can pull it up and uh (laughs) the two-way pod and this is a loaded pod get ready for this one boys there's the pod i had because it's it's really hard to put anyone else in there central line george little rock oabcig spirit like west line i don't know (laughs) if i've ever i don't know if i have there's really you know, who else can you send that way? They're all so far out of the way. Which is sad. It, they're such could, good teams. <laughs> could could you see a scenario where just to just to break it up, where maybe, maybe Osage gets sent west if they if they get out of if they beat out Clarion? I, I could see that. I could see Green County getting sent northwest as well. I think that's a possibility. I think they could host you know OABCIG. Uh, or they could host West Line. I, I won't put it past the state to do that. Um, if they're going to replace anyone, they're going to replace Spirit Lake and try to get Spirit Lake and uh, CLGLR as a as a uh, semifinal matchup because those are yeah. two teams that should be playing in the Unidome. Yeah, no, both. I would say out of all the out of the four eight no teams, when you look at Central Lion, Spirit Lake, West Marshall, Williamsburg, 
I think it's clear cut that it's well. It, I have Williamsburg one, but the margin is so close between yes, Williamsburg yes. and Central. I Lyon. give Williamsburg the advantage in my poll because uh, of their strength of schedule. Agreed, agreed. And so, but then Spirit Lake is not that far behind Williamsburg, and then I think it's a pretty distant fourth with West Marshall. And you can put several teams, I think, mm-hmm. in that you know, in that along with West Marshall. I think you can put Osage there. I think you can put. Uh, walk on there. I think you can put um, maybe Monticello. I think you could make an argument for Monticello. I think you can make an argument for West, obviously West Lyon, uh, Dubuque Waller, OAPCIG, like those teams, like they're kind of right in with West Marshall. They're kind of battling for that, like that fourth and final spot in the domes. I, as I think, I don't think the state is going to have is going to put Central Lion and Spirit Lake in the same pot because those two should be in the dome by far. Yeah, I agree. You can I never trust the state though on some of those things. I know uh, we know I that know. too well. Yeah, we, yeah. We, we, we Carter and I know that too well because Madrigal and Meter our senior should have been a Unidome game, but uh, <laughs> yeah. we we won't we won't dive into that. So that's kind of our <laughs> breakdown here on uh, uh, area uh, the first round of the small school playoffs, of course. Uh, everybody will be in the playoffs this time next week. Uh, so Carter and I, we'll, we'll see how much we can touch. What we'll touch on it. If there's anything really notable to touch on, we probably will uh, for the uh, round of 16 as we uh, move forward. Uh, with that, we're, we'll move ahead and, and touch a little bit on uh, college football stuff. Of course, with Iowa and Iowa State. Iowa was on bye last week, so there's not a lot to talk about with the Hawkeyes. But the Cyclones, they uh, lose a, a tough one to Texas. They they had. I thought they had Texas on the ropes. Texas uh, managed to make a couple plays, take what I thought was a pretty commanding lead, and then Iowa State just storm, you know, just finds a way to crawl back in it. You know, uh, was it you know uh, an incomplete pass to, was Xavier Hutchinson on a wide open go route? Was it targeting? Was it not on Hunter Deckers? We don't know. I know we're not going to get an, an explanation for it, but either way, Iowa State falls on a tough one to Texas, who was you could tell he was who was coming off a bit of emotional high from their shutout of Oklahoma last week. And uh, watching that game, Carter and Zach Weber wants to take it first uh, watching Hunter Deckers perform. He definitely looked more like the Hunter Deckers we saw in the first few weeks of the season than he did in the, the first three games of big 12 play. So I thought that was a very encouraging sign for the Cyclones, the running game, you know, they tried to do what they could. They still struggled for the fourth game in a row, but I think we saw a lot too. Quinn Ewers is, is a special talent at quarterback for Texas. And uh, he, he had some plays in that game that, that made you go, wow. Yeah, well, so, I mean, I, me and you, I feel like we both went into this game thinking that Iowa State was going to get crushed. And, I mean, I, I was just impressed with, like, how, how the game even went because I, I guess I had just kind of counted them off in my head, but – I did think Deckers looked really good. And I mean, once again, and I swear we've said this on the pod every single weekend. I mean, Xavier Hutchinson, he is so good. 10 receptions, 154 yards. I mean, I know he didn't have a touchdown, but he he just looks like, I mean, he could literally be a, a first team All-American this year. And I think that what Iowa State needed was to kind of get the running game going a little more. Um they didn't look great at times there, but I, I thought Deckers did finally take a, take the next step after not looking so good. And it's just unfortunate that Iowa state has now dropped four straight games after starting, you know, so hot to start the season. Yeah. I think this is a, 
I think this is a byproduct of a of a weaker non-conference schedule than I think Iowa State had intended mm-hmm. coming into the year. I mean, obviously, I think we all thought Iowa was going to have a better year than they did. I think we all thought um, – I think Ohio was pre- should have – maybe maybe not. I don't know. I It's, it's hard to judge the MAC because it is um, so wide open every year. I just think a lot of things have gone against Iowa State um, in terms of officials – I mean, let's just. I mean, I, I, we'll, I think we'll put it, it out there. I think it's fair to say at this point. It's. I. I thought. I. The last two games, I think they've just been. They've been hosed. Um, mm-hmm. But Decker having Hunter Decker's play like he did against Texas should be an encouraging thing coming out of the bye week. Mm-hmm. Get get Brock healthy. Get Norton healthy, and I think the running game is is going to be back to what it was. Um, mm-hmm. But. Carter, you mentioned it, Xavier Hutchinson is playing like a first team All American right now. And I, yes. and he, I mean, non quarterback, I think he's, I think he's been the best player in the Big 12. Um, maybe Bijan, you can make a case between one of those two, but I'd say, I, I'd say it's those two have been clear cut one, two in terms of non quarterbacks in the Big 12. That defense is still so, so good. And mm-hmm. it's, and it's been marred by an inefficient offense for the most part of this year to get any type of any type of any type of momentum going and they got to turn it around out of this bye week because it can it can spiral out of control here if if they if they cannot get a conference win out of the bye week. I think they play what? They played West Virginia or TCU out of the bye week. No, I think it's Oklahoma. Oklahoma. They play Oklahoma. Oh Jesus. Yeah, they they need to get <laughs> things going. Here soon, or else it, it oh. can get really ugly. And Oklahoma did look better this past week, uh, getting Dylan Gabriel back. I'm still not sold on how good the Sooners are. Of course, well, I think we might have a better idea this week. I'd have to double check and see what Oklahoma has, but you know, obviously, this is not the Oklahoma we're used to seeing. And I don't think Oklahoma's seen a defense as good. Well, we'll have seen the defense as good as Iowa State's when they come in to uh, Jack Trice in a couple of weeks. That'll be an 11 a.m. kickoff on FS1 between the Cyclones and the Sooners from Jack Trice Stadium uh, coming up in a couple of weeks. Uh, you know, the, the the defense marred by an inefficient offense. Carter, doesn't that sound so similar? Doesn't that sound oh, so gosh. familiar? Well, <laughs> and I mean, it's not like Iowa State is getting beat badly in any of these games. I mean, no. all of them are within right. seven points. It's, it's sad. And like Zach was saying, I mean – I, I, I'm, I've always been a proponent that, you know, the refs don't change the outcome of the games, but man, I swear Iowa state is on the wrong side of refing almost every time to where you almost have to think that they kind of are affecting how Iowa state's doing at this point. I mean, it, there's just been a lot of questionable stuff going on that has, you know, changed maybe some momentum or something that, I mean, I, I, and who's to say that, you know, Iowa State would win this game or, or any of the others, too, with different calls. But, I mean, at this point, yeah, it's it's been pretty unfortunate with the refing as well. But, mm-hmm. I mean, they're still a good team, and part of it, too, is just a byproduct of that. The Big 12 is really good this year. And I don't think that we thought they were going to be as good as they are. Yeah, it's a deep league, and I'm not sure. I'm not sure if there's one great team, but there's a ton of really good teams. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, the, yeah, I would say it's. I would say there's like two to four like really good teams, and I would probably honestly I'd put TCU at the top of it. 
I would. Right now, after this weekend, after they knocked off Oklahoma State and Amon G. Carter Stadium, I would agree. Yeah. And that Max game, Dugan. Max Dugan is looking like he looking like he was back in his high school days, and that's really back at Lewis Central. Because, yep. Yeah, I I was a big believer in Max Dugan in high school, and I've and I thought TCU was gonna get was getting a real gem, and he's finally put it together for a full year. Yep. Well, and the problem is, you know, going through a coaching change with uh, Gary Patterson leaving, obviously the COVID year, I think it threw a lot of things into disarray uh, for a lot of programs. I think TCU is not. Uh, is one of those programs that had things kind of thrown into disarray. But, yeah, Max Dugan, I mean, I I don't know if he's quite at the level where maybe we're talking about a Heisman candidate, but he's awfully close. He's awfully close with yep. some of the performances he's had. Which is crazy because, I mean, he did not look great the last two years as the starter for him. Hmm. Um, I mean, I, I, was, down. I was at the time I was like, okay, I guess I can see, you know, maybe why – he didn't end up at Iowa or Iowa State, and then all of a sudden now I'm like, oh man, I I, I kind of wish that he was at one of these programs now. But kind of reminds you, it kind of reminds me a little bit of Kenny Pickett last year. <clears throat> kind of yes. how he went up and down last year, you know, for a few years, and then last year put it all together and had a Heisman mm-hmm. caliber season. So. Yeah, that's a, that's a fair that's a fair comparison. Mm-hmm. I still I think he I think he is a he's not a Heisman contender right now. He needs about two more games mm-hmm. of like the level of playing where he's going to be a Heisman contender. But I think I, I think he's I think he's a he's a front runner for for potentially. Um, well, maybe not because the Davy O'Brien always goes to the Heisman winner, so maybe he's not a front runner for the Davy O'Brien. But he might he's he's shown he he's probably likely the best quarterback in the Big Twelve this year. Yeah, I would say. Yeah, he could very well be in the running for offensive player of the year, along with Xavier Hutchinson and uh, uh, B. John Robinson from Texas as well. Of course, I would say they're on bio this week. Iowa, they they are back this week. Uh, caught a little bit of Kirk Ferentz's press conference uh, today. Nothing real earth shattering or, or earth moving from uh, from the from Kirk Ferentz. Uh, the Hawkeyes, of course, they got a daunting task on Saturday. The second ranked Ohio State Buckeyes in Columbus. A matter of fact, Ryan, you know, Ryan Day had his press conference today, and he said he still has a scar from uh, the 2017 game in Iowa City that Iowa won 55-24. Uh, that was his first year as the offensive coordinator under Urban Meyer. And, uh, you know, that for, for good reason, that probably should concern Hawkeye fans with, you know, what could be coming on Saturday. What I think will happen is not nearly as dire as what I think a lot of people think will happen. But obviously, uh, at the front of this, and whoever wants to take it can take it take it from me here. But daunting task with how good this Ohio State offense is. And the defense is improved from Ohio State. I don't know. I don't know how shut down the defense is uh, right now, but obviously with Iowa's offensive trouble or offensive issues, it won't take much for Ohio State to be shut down against the Hawkeyes. But uh, I'm still not nearly as doom and gloom coming into this week as I think a lot of Iowa fans are. Yeah, I know through your Twitter, you're you're not doom and gloom, and everyone else is doom and gloom, and they're yeah. attacking you on Twitter for being so for being not so doom and. Gloom. God forbid! God forbid we're on an even keel here. God forbid. <laughs> here, here's the thing. Watch this be the week where Iowa's offense finally wakes up. Like, watch this be the it, week. It would Spencer... be so so on script. It would be so on script for Iowa. For I just watch Spencer Peters just go off for like 400 yards and four touchdowns, completing to com, completing like 70 percent of his passes. Just watch it happen because it it would be so on par for Iowa's offense to wake up after a bye week, 
against uh, against a top five team, it would just be so on brand. Now, is that going to happen? Probably, Probably not. not. Yeah. Probably yeah. not. But it, it would not. It, I'd be just like, of course it is. Of course it would happen yeah. like this. Of of course it would happen after after the whole Brian Ferentz. Well, what's the upside? Yeah. What's the yeah uh, comment against Padilla and. It would be so on brand, but it's not going to happen because I just think because uh, I still think Ohio State is isn't a isn't a class of its own. I think C.J. Stroud is is probably right now the him and Hendon Hooker, the quarterback from Tennessee, are probably the two front runners for the Heisman mm-hmm. right now. If I were to if I were to peg it, if I were to peg the Heisman race, I'd say Stroud and Hooker are one, two in some order. Um, I, and you're right, Quinn. Ohio State's defense has been improved tremendously. I think they're probably a top three defense in the big 10. And I don't think that's too far fetched to say, um, when you look at Iowa and, and Michigan and their defenses are right there with them. Yeah, I agree. So I see, so yeah, I, I think Ohio state wins this comfortably, but like I said, this would be the week where Iowa just clicks on all cylinders offensively and, and Spencer Petras shuts everyone up. Yeah, I'd say, well, I, I, lo- I would love to see that happen. I'm not necessarily sure it will, but it also, <laughs> like you guys were saying, would be on brand for Iowa to do that. Not saying they will, but it would be on brand. And I think that me and Quinn, we have like a, a different viewpoint that a lot of Iowa fans seem to be having right now that are, you know, like you were kind of mentioning, Zach, that doom and gloom that it seems like there is on Twitter about the program. And I think that, people also don't understand that. I mean, they lost to a good Illinois team uh, the last week and it's not losing to the Illinois of, you know, two or three years ago. And yes, granted, it still was a loss to Illinois in a season where we thought that Iowa could go, you know, nine and three or 10 and two. And for that, yes, it's painful. And it's painful when you see that Iowa, you know, is, even just looking at the rest of their schedule, I mean, it's going to be a battle to try to win seven or eight games now mm-hmm. um, just with the schedule that we have there. And I, I don't know if the Hawks can really keep it close in Columbus. I would feel a little better about the game if it was at Kinnick. Um, but I mean, the horseshoe really tough place to play. Mm-hmm. And I mean, Iowa hasn't necessarily had a ton of luck there um, in the past either. Um, so I, I think a lot of people are, you know, referencing the game from, uh, our freshman year, 2017, where Iowa just beat the absolute tar out of Ohio state, but woodshed, woodshed Iowa. Yeah. Woodshed. Oh, Iowa. Great headline. Zach is a newspaper guy. You know, you had to appreciate that headline. Oh, that's, oh, that's still a top tier headline. To Mark, Mark Morehouse, it, one of our, one of our favorite guys here. Uh, was the, was the guy was the genius behind that one? And man, was that was that an all timer? I still have the teacher oh, somewhere. Yeah, yeah, that's that's an all timer. And, and I mean, yeah, I, that was a great game, and I know we're referencing it a lot, but this is a lot. Different. A, we're in a lot different of a scenario <laughs> than we were uh, that year. And and I know that that team's record that year in 2017 actually was not that great it was either. Seven and five. It was seven and five. Yeah, and they won the bowl game against the pinstripe bowl against Boston College. Yes, and, and but I, I the offense was a lot better in that year as well, um, and they did have a really good defense too. They just underperformed, and well, I guess you know it's been looking like Iowa has been underperforming on the offensive side this year, and I do think that you know they're they're gonna 
that the people have to have a little bit of patience with the program um, and the fact that, you know, if they if the team go, does go seven and five this year or or worse, that, you know, you got to believe in Kirk Ferentz and how, how long he's been here, that he will, you know, turn it around and do something in the offseason to make sure it doesn't happen again. And I, and I think that he's earned that right. Um, hmm. You know, I, I think it's insane that people are, you know, calling for his head or something that the program's going to get behind on the times with how the college football landscape is changing. And I, I don't think that they realize that, you know, Iowa has great recruiting classes coming in and that, I mean, we've been in this situation before too, where we thought, Oh, maybe this is the end of the Ferentz era. And yeah. uh, he, he always finds a way. And I, I think that, I think that the fans just need to be able to, you know, trust, trust mm-hmm. that, you know, Kirk Ferentz is going to, do what it takes to turn the program around. And you know what, if he doesn't, well, he at least earned the right to do what, you know, he thought would turn the program around. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think gonna, gonna, yeah. he's not going to sit there and let the program get stagnant. There's, I mean, there's no right. way he's, he's too, he's too smart of a guy to sit there and let the program become stagnant. Yeah. I think the other, I think the other side of the coin and I'm kind of speaking to the Iowa fans here is, while they are recruiting at probably the highest level that Ferentz has had in his tenure. Like, I don't think that's, I don't think that's outlandish to say that he's recruiting the highest at at his tenure. The other side of that coin is, is there going to be as much of an exodus into the transfer portal as we think, or as maybe Iowa fans think, because I mean, people are already just, they're, they're putting in the papers themselves that Padilla and Keegan Johnson and maybe other skill position players are just going to waltz in the transfer portal, which I don't think is that outlandish to think either. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't think it is. So, like, like yes, Ferris is recruiting at a high level, but does, does a potential exodus of skill position players make up for the, for the high level of recruiting? Yeah, I think that's a fair question to ask when it comes to that because, yeah, there, there, there have been some of those. But also uh, the flip side of that as well is I think KF knows that he has to attack the transfer portal, portal this offseason and attack it head on with, with skill position guys, you know, go after receivers, maybe go get a one-year rental quarterback if you feel the quarterback room is not ready uh, for for next season, which there's going to be some some options out there for Iowa to look at it if uh, what I'm hearing and what I think will happen is correct. Help uh, is on the way. Yeah, <laughs> let's 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 not get too ahead of ourselves now. <laughs> let's not get too ahead of ourselves. But uh, yeah, but it, you know, it's just going to be it's going to be a topic of you know. And Iowa did look for a, a quarterback in the portal last year, but they just weren't able to to pull one in. They 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 did. It is on record that they did look for a quarterback and just weren't able to find one that was a good fit. I definitely think that'll be different this time around. Uh, obviously, going. I, I think it has. It has to be. I think yeah. it, it has to be. Yeah, I, I, I think, think you. I think you almost not, have not, to prioritize. Yeah, but parents knows it's not. It's not. It's not a luxury. It's an imperative. You you probably need to find some depth at the quarterback position. Uh, just you know, even if it's a like I said, even if it's a one year rental, you got to find something. Uh, to to get the quarterback position right, preferably a guy that that's a little bit more mobile than Spencer Petras has been, and uh, uh, as uh, in terms of you know escaping the pocket, extending plays with the speed. You don't you don't need someone like a Hendon Hooker or a, or a Kyler Murray or someone like that 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 can you know run for 500, 600 yards. You just need someone who can extend the extend the play, extend the play 
down the field, you know, once the pocket breaks down. That's all you really need in Iowa's offense. We look at guys, some of the most successful quarterbacks in that offense, Drew Tate, Ricky Stanzi, C.J. Beathard, where they really excelled was extending plays to their feet. And Nate Stanley, maybe not as mobile as the guys I mentioned. He could extend plays with his feet and got a lot better as, it is as his career went on at Iowa. He did a really good job of extending plays with his feet as well. Uh, you know, it's just Iowa's going to have to do some, some looking at the transfer portal in the offseason. You know, I think – and I think that, you know, looking ahead for the rest of this year, I think having the bye, I think the bye week came at a great time. I think, you know, obviously Iowa has always used the bye week uh, that week to really focus on improving themselves and not worrying about their next opponent. And I think that might really come in handy, you know, as, as daunting Carter, as, as we talked about before the year, as that schedule at the end of the year looks, all of a sudden it doesn't look as daunting when you look at teams like, or look at Northwestern and you look at uh, Wisconsin dare I say Minnesota, they've really struggled since they've gotten into Big Ten play. All of a sudden, that back half of the slate, Nebraska as well, that back half of the slate doesn't maybe look nearly as daunting as we thought it might. Yeah, you say that, but I mean, they're, they're rivalry game. Three yep, of them are there rivalry is that. Games, there is that. Which, you know, brings in that factor, which I think regardless of what, you know, the competition level might be for, like, how good those programs are this year, I mean, they're, they're rivalry games, and you know they're going to show up for them. And then, I mean, I want to say I feel good about Northwestern, but how many times have we seen Northwestern? And I know Northwestern looks atrocious after, I mean, ever since they beat Nebraska. But it, I, I just can't feel good about that game. And then, I mean, even Purdue, who's had a bunch of missteps, you know, in, in their season so far, I mean, they have been Iowa's kryptonite as well. Uh, so, I mean, that's five games right there. And then the other one's Ohio State. Uh, that's a that's six games that I don't know if I could comfortably say, like, yeah, well, I think, like, I'd be happy with three and three out of those. And I think four and two is probably the most likely um, outcome there maybe five and one maybe and that would be best case scenario yeah we've seen we've seen some crazy things when it comes to that i think that's 2008 that yep. team was four was four and three four and four at you know a little bit past halfway point and they went one four in a row to win the in the regular season are we two weeks away from thinking or are we are we two more losses away from thinking that neither of the in-state teams are going to make a bowl game like are, are like are we two weeks away be. from having yeah. Are we two weeks away from having that conversation? We could be, which is nuts to think. It's crazy because, well, honestly, who do we think has a better chance of a bowl, Iowa or Iowa State? Because <laughs> Iowa might, State has just they have a, a tough schedule. schedule. Yeah, uh, I mean, Iowa State has a really tough schedule. And and they're the better team, in, in my opinion. I mean, obviously, they, they beat Iowa, but, mm-hmm. I mean. I th- yeah, I think right now Iowa State's better, but. Yeah, that back half of Iowa State schedule is just as bad. But the problem with Iowa's back half of the schedule is I know Minnesota's on the road. Now, I can't remember if if Wisconsin and Nebraska are on the road, too. No, they're both, they both at home. Here. They're both at home. Okay. Yeah. So, but you get, you get Minnesota on the road. You get Purdue on the road, right? So, and that's going to be, I mean, we can all just argue. I, I wouldn't say Purdue is a tough place to play, but just that there's something about that stadium where just, Teams it's, come it's in and tend to struggle. I don't. It's, it's something like about that Field. stadium. It's something about that stadium at night. If that's a night game, Ooh. 
That's yeah. going to be scary. Charlie, look, and we already know what Charlie Jones is going to do. Yeah, that's I mean, we already know. <laughs> I mean, it's a, it's it's, a matter of if Iowa can slow down the other guys. Charlie Jones is going to get his. It's a matter of Iowa can slow down the other guys in that game. Right. So, I, and I'm with Carter. Like, I don't know if there's a game where I can look at Iowa's back half schedule like, oh, man, yeah, they're going to win this game. Like, I don't like I don't know if I can say that. And I don't know if I can say the same thing about Iowa State schedule yeah. either. I don't know. If, I don't know if there's a game on the back half of Iowa State schedule where I can say, "Yeah, now the Cyclones are going to win this game pretty pretty handily." I can't say that about either one of those programs, which leads me to think in the next couple of weeks, if they if neither one of them can get can string together some some wins, we might be having a conversation about neither one of the in-state programs making a bowl game this year, which is insane to think about. But we're we're not that far away from no. having a conversation like that. No, absolutely correct. Yeah, I, I could see Iowa State beating Oklahoma, but they look better now. And I would say West Virginia was the closest to being chalked up win a couple weeks ago, but they just beat Baylor. Yep. Yeah. Oh, you just don't. Yeah. You just don't know, man. Might be a brutal yeah. December and January oh. for Iowa and Iowa State fans if that's the God, case. God bless women's basketball. God oh. yes. God bless yes. women's basketball. <laughs> Number four, Iowa, number eight, Iowa State. God bless women's basketball. That's God, bless that Kate, one. God bless Caitlin Clark and Ashley Jones. Yes, yes, a thousand times yes. I suppose we can probably uh, – we can end the episode on that note. End it on a positive note. God bless women's basketball yeah. in this state. Just, this just got my tickets year. for them today, so I'm excited. I'll probably do do my best to try to make a couple of, of men's and women's games this year in Iowa City and hopefully try to cover a couple of men's and women's games down in Jack Trice or down in – uh, Carver this year that would be a lot of fun uh, I, I definitely would be looking forward to that because the Big 12 on the men's set should be really tough again this year uh, in, in terms of men's basketball I'd be really excited to couple, cover a couple of Saturday games down at the old uh, Hilton Coliseum this year as uh, that's going to do it for uh, episode 11 of the Eyes on Iowa podcast Zach my friend great to have you on and I'm sure I'll run into you somewhere down the road probably when basketball and wrestling gets underway should be a really good year for basketball and wrestling in northern Iowa yeah, it should be. I mean, there's no really good, like, dominant team on the boys or girls side in North Iowa this year. I think it's just going to be a couple really good teams that if one gets hot at the right time, they can they can make a run to Wells Fargo Arena. But there's not one true dominant team like like Lake Mills has been in the past. Yeah. I think it's just going to be a bunch of really good teams in, in my coverage area. And then wrestling, Osage. I mean, Osage. it's always going to be Osage. Osage, and, Osage, and, and Osage. And, and they bring back – every single point from the state tournament and add in a add in a freshman Nick Fox's younger brother Blake Fox who both coach Brent Jennings and Chase Thomas who was an all who was a medalist both told me at the end of last season that he has the potential to be a four-timer I mean if we're I mean just an embarrassment of riches in the Osage wrestling room and that, that's a pretty legendary program up there in OCH when it comes to wrestling. When you look at the Schwab brothers, of course, Doug Schwab's the head coach over at UNI. Webster City, they they have four kids that have been ranked in the preseason, uh, the preseason rankings. It sounds like Ken Fetzenfam has got a younger brother who's coming in as a freshman at 106. He might be better than Cam. So uh, that's at least what I've been told. Uh, he's an AAU state champion uh, from, uh, 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 from eighth grade from Webster City. So it's going to be good. I think it's going to be a good year for wrestling, at least in the North Central Conference realm for me. In basketball, rolling story. They got a game with Grandview Christian coming up in January that uh, I'd be very – I'm trying to get a chance to cover that one. Uh, that could be a really good one, really good test. Norseman, there's a good chance Norseman finish a year on, finish a regular season undefeated. 
uh, at a class to it. They've got one heck of a squad this year down at Story mm-hmm. City. They'd be my best bet to uh, get down to the well this year for uh, our area teams. But uh, with that, that's going to do it for us. Uh, signing things off, of course, for Zach Martin, uh, my co-host Carter Coppinger, Quinn Douglas, signing off, and we'll talk to you. We'll talk to you all again uh, next week.